basically our point guard, two guard, guarding their power forward. And he says, get that out of here. Brown with two. Stands down on the football. Hey guys, welcome back to Celtic Sports Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm joined by Tim. And today we've got a special guest, Chris Gasper. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well. How are you guys? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm excited for the off-season. So what have you been working on lately? Well, I've been working on some Celtic stuff here. Obviously, I had a comp today that went in the Boston Globe, just sort of looking at what a difference a year makes for the Celtics. I think as we look at last off-season, it just felt like the Celtics couldn't lose no matter what they did. It had all worked out for them. They were getting Kyrie back and Gordon Hayward back. And the expectation was that Gordon Hayward would be the same guy and that Kyrie was the alpha male they needed. And then they had two young studs and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and great future lottery picks and the Sacramento pick and the Memphis pick. And fast forward a year later, it didn't quite work out the way we expected. And really, I think there's a lot of uncertainty going into this offseason as to what the Celtics team will look like when the offseason is over and really what path they should take and can take this offseason. You know, is it is it uniting Kyrie and Anthony Davis? Is it deciding to build around Gordon Hayward and the young guys and Tatum and Brown? Is it something else bringing in some other star to team with Kyrie is it just going straight up Kawhi like the Raptors did and just taking a chance on Anthony Davis and saying yeah you know we'll roll the dice with you for one year and you'll you'll like it here and we'll be good for a year and we'll figure it out so there's a lot of unknowns I think it's really a very different offseason for the Celtics than a lot of people expected just like it was a very different season than a lot of people expected for the Celtics yeah, it's been a very tumultuous season. Part of it was down to, I'd say, egos, uh, but we've touched on that a lot. And then Terry Rozier kind of aired his dirty laundry, which was not the most <laughs> professional thing to do. Where do you stand on it? What do you personally think would be the ideal summer? Are you and me, we need Anthony Davis? Personally, for me, I'm more along the lines of, I'd like to build around Jalen and Jason. But I know this is a business and everybody wants to go and get the star player to have the best chance of a championship. Yeah, so I mean, I think an ideal summer for the Celtics is you bring Kyrie Irving back. I, I know that's hard for a lot of people now just based on the way the season ended for the Celtics, but I still think when you look at the NBA, you know, it's a talent league and he's a very talented guy. I just think maybe he needs a little more help than we realize in terms of carrying the burden of being the face of a franchise. So if you can bring in Anthony Davis, who is only 26 years old, six-time all all-star, the type of big who is transcendent, can do a lot of things in this league, and also somebody who maybe can combat Giannis Antetokounmpo, who you're going to be competing with for years to come in Milwaukee. I think that's ideal. And, and when I say I think that that's ideal, that's not just my opinion. I also think that's the Celtics' ideal. Like I think this has been the plan for a while, was to try and unite Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving and have that be the core of the team and sort of build around that. The question is, can they pull it off? Because it's a really a delicate dance. I think, in terms of which one do you need first? In other words, do you need some sort of commitment from Kyrie for Anthony Davis to feel good about coming here? Do you need some sort of tacit commitment from the Pelicans to deal you with Anthony Davis for Kyrie to stay? So I think that's the ideal for the Celtics, and I still think that's their their plan A, but whether they can execute it remains to be seen. Part of me feels like as well that these guys obviously speak. It's not like everything's in a vacuum and nobody 
communicates with each other. So if them two are very set on moving forward with Boston, conversations are going to be happening between both of them. And hopefully one of them kind of alludes to staying and then commits in other, in, you know, so the other guy commits along with them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the way it works in the NBA. It's a player-centric league, and I think players know that they have a lot of power and influence, and they sort of form alliances, right? I mean, you know, I'm a Game of Thrones fan. It's kind of like Game of Thrones. Like, these guys decide, you know, they pledge themselves uh, to whatever house, and they say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're an alliance. And really... It's up to the players more than it's up to the Celtics. Now, with Davis, it's slightly different in that I get the sense from a Celtics standpoint that, you know, Danny Ainge would roll the dice on one year of just Anthony Davis, that that, that if Kyrie's not going to stay, if he leaves and goes somewhere else, the Knicks are the most rumored destination, that Ainge would still pursue a, day, a deal for Davis, even if Davis was not giving the Celtics any assurances that he was committed long term to playing in Boston. I happen to think that's a big gamble. I think that's too big a gamble to trade both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to New Orleans for one year of Anthony Davis with no long term commitment. But I think the Celtics would consider it. But the easiest path here is for Anthony Davis and Kyrie to get together and say, hey, we want to play in Boston. But you know, my question on that one is sort of if you look at it, do you really feel like Kyrie Irving's in a position to sort of recruit people to come play in Boston? And if he's going to do that, I think he has to be kind of vocal about it and outward about the fact that Boston's where he wants to be. And, and we haven't heard that in a long time. We certainly didn't hear it in February. I mean, we heard it back in October, but we haven't heard him speak about playing in Boston that way in a long time. And partially, that's kind of shooting himself in the foot in the same respect. Because if he is planning on keeping good with his word, that was at the start of the season. And I get it, things changed. The season didn't pan out how he was expecting, how any of us were expecting. But if he is trying to stay in Boston and recruit these names like you say, he does need to come out and state state that he's going to be staying in order for those free agents to sit up and be like, well, now Boston's a possibility for me. No question. I mean, it makes Boston a destination if Kyrie's there. I mean, the very stuff that we're talking about, the sort of uncertainty for the Celtics in this offseason moving forward. And you're right, players talk. They probably know more than we do. Heck, they definitely know more than we do. But it's still sort of the same thing. You know, they're sort of probably asking Kyrie directly the same question. Like, do you want to be there? How long do you plan to stay there? You know, what's it like playing for Brad? Is it a good organization? They're asking all these questions. And I think the original plan for both Kyrie and the Celtics was for him to be like an ambassador for the Celtics. And if you look at it now, maybe that's still Kyrie's plan. Maybe that's still the Celtics plan. But it definitely doesn't feel like it. You know, it doesn't feel like he's this great ambassador for Boston basketball and he's out there recruiting other guys. If anything, it probably sort of feels like, you know, maybe he's being recruited by some other great players, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, to join them wherever they, you know, sort of end up moving forward. Yeah, that's partly what annoys me. He wanted his own team. Granted, he didn't choose Boston in so much because he was traded here. I don't know if he would have had a say on that in some He was excited about it. I yeah. mean, he didn't choose it, but he was. I mean, this was one of the places he wanted to be. It was, you know, it was a, a place that he approved. He was excited about this. So it's not like he just sort of got thrown to a place he didn't want to be. His usage rate is good. Um, he's one of the most, obviously, his usage rate is going to be high as Kyrie Irving. But his minutes are down, too. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I hear you. Yeah, no, I, I mean, his minutes were down. I think his efficiency was fantastic. Not in the postseason, though, and that's really where it comes down to. I think the big deal with Kyrie is what's making him unhappy and if it's something that the Celtics know internally I think with Wick's comments the other day are a little bit more telling than he'd like to let on I think there's conversations of what the future holds and I think certain people need to be moving out whether that's 
a Jalen Brown type. Obviously, Terry Rozier going on ESPN first take is kind of speaking volumes now, but maybe it goes deeper than that. Yeah, it might. But, you know, before you make those moves, I mean, and I agree with Rozier. I mean, for me at this point with Rozier, I feel like they need to move on from him either way, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that's not a commentary on his ability as a player, but I, I just think at this point, he's he's a little big for his britches, and I think he's looking for a real opportunity to become a star. And even if he stays here, I still think he'd be below some other guys in the pecking order, even if Kyrie's not here, and that could be problematic for him. But the thing, to go back to what you're saying about Kyrie, you know, look, Jalen Brown, they're going to have to make a decision here pretty soon on whether they want to offer him an extension. He's going to get paid. We know that. But the reality is, if you're going to move on from a Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum or even both of those guys, to appease Kyrie, to give him more veteran guys, you need some sort of commitment from Kyrie that he's here for the long haul. And that's that's the hard part for the Celtics this offseason is that I don't think they know how committed he is. And so how can you move forward when you don't have all the answers? And so if you if you make some sort of move or you know overt overture to appease Kyrie Irving with this move, even Anthony Davis, you'd think he'd be like, yeah, I'm going to stay. You got Anthony Davis, but what if he says no? You know, I don't I don't want to play for Brad. And that's that's hypothetical. I'm not saying that he said anything like that or that's what it is. But I'm just saying like you don't know where he stands, and that makes it really hard to make decisions if you're Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics. And moving past just the decision of whether Kyrie is going to stay or not, the the implications if he did decide not to, cap-wise, would be horrendous for this team. There's so little cap money at the moment, there'd have to be some major restructuring across the entire roster just to kind of compensate for losing Kyrie. Hey, that's a great point. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right about that. We haven't even mentioned, like, you know, Al Horford. What's going to happen there? Does Al opt out? You know, indications are that he's going to. He'd like a little more long-term security. So he'd opt out of the final year of that deal. And maybe he'll take a little less in AAV for a little more long-term security. But you're right. I mean, it, the Celtics are in a really tough spot if, if Kyrie Irving doesn't come back here. I and mean, they've, they've sort of put all their chips on a Kyrie-led team. And if he doesn't come back, you know, you sort of have to figure it out and what that looks like moving forward. And that's a great point on the cap space because I think a lot of people just think like, oh, Kyrie leaves and we'll just, you know, find or sign some other big time free agent. It's not going to work that way for the Celtics and what their cap situation is. No, the only reason we can even consider giving Kyrie the money we're considering is because we got his bird rights when the, when he got traded over. That's correct, right? Yes, yeah. yes. No, they have his bird rights. So, yes, you know, they can go over the cap to sign him. It's just the luxury tax implications. And then obviously, you know, the fifth year versus a four year deal. So it's, you know, five years for about 189 versus four for like, you know, 140 something from another team. But if you if you look at that, you know, the one thing about that, and uh, there was a breakdown Bobby Marks had, guys, I thought was really interesting the other day. I thought Bobby Marks of ESPN um, did a great job breaking down sort of the Celtics offseason and some of this stuff. And he broke down the Kyrie contracts, whether he comes back here or he goes to another team. And what's really interesting about it is like, I think the difference in contracts is maybe like 49 million, but all of it's basically in the last year that in that fifth year, that another team can't offer. The difference over the first four years of the deal between him signing here and, say, the Knicks is only like $6 million. So what's to stop Kyrie from going to New York, signing a four-year deal with an opt-out after two years, at which point he'd be eligible for, like, the 10-year veteran, like, Supermax, and then they'd have his bird rights, I believe, and then he could just recoup all that money, like, right there. I think so it's a matter it's, of you know, this, you know? Yeah. I mean, everybody perception. thinks the Celtics have this huge advantage, but I'm not sure they do financially. No, and obviously with New Orleans getting the first pick as well, 
I feel like that's kind of reduced their advantage in any package they can offer for AD. Lakers getting fourth didn't help at all. They started the season in a really strong position on all fronts and now it feels like they're on quicksand and no matter which way they turn, there's a possible roadblock that's going to push them further down and the more they struggle, the more they might sink. No There's some truth to that, guys. I mean, I, I I agree with what you're saying. You know, I, I don't want to go too far, though, because they, they, they do have the path to contention is not as clear as we all thought. But look, if worst came to worst here and they missed out on Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving, and I've been saying for a while, this is just my gut feeling. I think it's more likely that they don't end up with either player than that they end up with both of them. Now, I hope I'm wrong, but that's just sort of my gut feeling. But let's say they don't end up with either guy. You know, it's not the end of the world to move forward with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and what they have, you know, Gordon Hayward. That's not, that's still like a halfway decent team. And you could move forward that way. You have your draft picks. It's, it's not, it's not as good as it looked before, but it's not starting all over again. It's not like when Brad Stevens first got here, you know, it's not going to be a team that wins 20 something games. Like that's still a playoff team. Oh, yeah, for sure. And development isn't linear. So just because we didn't see huge leaps off Jalen and Jason this year doesn't necessarily mean that they're bust. They may have a slow start next year, but as I say, it's not a linear improvement. So eventually that jump could be made. We've seen it all the time. Sophomores generally struggle. Further players usually improve. Uh, Jalen did towards the end of the year, to be fair to him. So I'm not too worried, especially even if Kyrie was to leave. Having Hayward play point forward and do the majority of the ball handling with him He's a phenomenal playmaker and an exceptional passer. I agree. I know you're, you're totally right about that. He's great with the ball in his hands and off the pick and roll and just, you know, the way he makes decisions. And I think that's honestly where Brad Stevens is most comfortable, which is letting Gordon Hayward run the offense and let him make decisions. And he's a fantastic facilitator. Now, hopefully he gets a little more confident when it comes to the finishing. And the biggest shock for me, I think this year when I watched him play, I was just kind of surprised that his outside shot wasn't as good as I had remembered it being in Utah. I thought with all that time off that maybe that would be the one thing that would sort of be easiest to maintain or improve um, was his shooting touch from the outside. And I was just a little surprised that it wasn't as good as, as really I thought it should have been. I mean, you're looking at this. He, he shot 33% from three this year, which, you know, you, you have to go back to 2013-14 to find a percentage that low for him. So if he can get better with the outside shot too, and then he's going to be the primary playmaker off the pick and roll and teams have to respect, you know, they know they can't duck under. That would make a huge difference for them. Playing, I'd like to see another big as well. Um, even if it's more Time Lord over Baines, just because I feel like they run the horn set a lot. So if you're running a horn set, you want someone as athletic as Williams that can drive while Al's popping out because it gives you that option for the alley-oop as well as the cut and the kick back to the papa. So having somebody like Horford, Horford, sorry, Hayward, that's really happy to be passing the ball, running sets like that with an athletic guy playing offside at Al, I feel could be really beneficial beneficial against some of the older teams that we'd come up against. Ah, that's another great point. I mean, I, I would agree with that. You know, hopefully Robert Williams can make a jump. I, I will say this, you know, I talked to somebody, um, a source, you know, in the Celtic organization. Was it last week? The days all run together, but it was it was the latest it was was last week, and they were saying to me that like contrary to the public perception of Robert Williams, he's actually one of the hardest workers on the team. You know, they said he's one of the guys who is one of the last guys to leave the gym. So it seems like he's putting in a lot of time and effort to get better, and I think that's really encouraging. And I thought he showed some flashes in the limited opportunities he got this year. I mean, from a pure talent standpoint, 
the guy's a lottery type talent. And so for the Celtics to get him, you know, where they got him in the draft, you know, in the 20s, uh, that could potentially be a steal if he can continue to develop. And he certainly fits the profile of the modern NBA big in terms of the ability to rim run and rim protect and also enough athleticism to get out and hedge and steer on those pick and rolls defensively. So that would be a nice element for the Celtics to add. So you're right there. Yeah, I do feel like part of me feels like that's how Milwaukee beat us. It wasn't just the fact that Giannis was fantastic and they seem to have really stepped it up against us in the games. But part of me felt like the lack of athleticism coming off the bench and length compared to them. I mean, all of their bench players were big. They were long. They were good on D. They had a high level of athleticism. And then we had people like Tice trying to match up with them. And that's no disrespect to Tice. He's a solid player. But when you're coming against people that can just run and they're longer than you and they want it more than you, it's kind of a bad situation. So having someone like Robert Williams like coming off the bench with that length and athleticism kind of helps negate that. Yeah, it certainly could. I mean, you know, he, he has some work to do, obviously, to become a more polished, trusted player. And I think part of what the Celtics were trying to do was they liked the idea. You know, I thought Aaron Baines actually played pretty well in the series. And I think they liked the fact that Baines can knock down shots from the outside and also space the floor. I mean, they like their bigs to be able to space the floor as well and knock down outside shots. And Tice can do that. Horford can do that. Baines has shown a, pro, a, a proclivity for that. That's not Robert Williams' game. You know, this and so that makes it a little... You know, you gain something, I think, probably on the defensive end, but you might lose a little something on the offensive end. And that was my biggest thing, I think, with the Celtics this year was just I thought their their outside shooting was inconsistent. And that goes back to what I was saying about Gordon Hayward. I thought they really needed like a very consistent guy playing off Kyrie to spot up and knock down some outside shots and space the floor. And I felt like they didn't have that. You know, they had Marcus Morris could shoot and wasn't afraid to and he'd make shots and Tatum could make them and Brown could make them and Hayward could make them. But there was nobody like consistently every game. There's no like J.J. Redick or somebody where you're like, we can't let this guy, you know, get these threes or we have to guard against these threes. And I thought that sort of hurt them at times. I've been calling for Rodney Hood for the past few weeks now. I feel he'd be a fantastic pickup for this team with the way Brad tries to play. And for that reason, I feel like he'd be good at spotting up. Maybe not starting, but definitely coming off the bench and giving Kyrie a second, a second running mate. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, obviously he would have some familiarity with Hayward from their time together in Utah. So Gordon could let Brad Stevens know what type of player he is. He's done well for the Trailblazers. I still think he has something left in the tank in his career. You know, I know it didn't go great for him after the deal to Cleveland last year. But you can never have too much shooting in, in today's NBA. There's no question about that. And if that's a guy that they end up bringing in down the line, you know, particularly if you're in a situation where you have Irving and Davis, you're going to have to fill out the rest of that team, I think, with some guys that are willing to accept their roles, not just young guys that are trying to prove that they're you know, superstar caliber in the NBA and I think that was sort of one of the biggest issues for the Celtics this year that push pull of you know, having role players who really didn't want to be boxed into sort of limited roles because they're still growing as players and still trying to prove at this point in their career that they're you know all-star caliber talents. Tim are you there? Do you have anything you want to add? Um, I mean I think at the end of the day right now with the Celtics core where they're at in terms of young talent there's a lot to still look forward to regardless of whether or not Anthony Davis is still on the table. It's just hard for me to get ramped up for the draft. You know, I, I was talking about it earlier on Twitter. I just it's like you don't know who's going to be around at the end of the day. And I think looking at some of the guys that are in the draft, I mean, Bull Bull has some interest for me at, you know, 14. But it's is he Thon Maker 2.0 or 
I just think along with having Robert Williams there, I think we need some more depth at the four and five spot, uh, especially in that same mold as Robert Williams, something that's a little bit more polished, you know, a a guy who's going to give you something from range, but also being able to defend outside of the paint. Yeah, it is an interesting, this is an interesting draft because I think it's pretty top heavy. You know, everybody obviously knows the guys at the top, Zion Williamson, John Moran, RJ Barrett, but maybe this could be the draft where you end up with a Kawhi Leonard or a Giannis Antetokounmpo that like nobody really saw in the teens. So maybe that player will be around for the Celtics at 14. You know, a guy I like is Romeo Langford from Indiana. Um, there are some questions about his shot. He played most of the year with a hand injury. There were questions about his shot before that still, but he has a lot of the qualities that Danny Ainge normally likes in a player. He can create his own shot. He's smooth. He's athletic. Has some length to him for a two guard. So that's one guy that I like who could be there at 14. But that's the funny thing and it goes back to you know the column I wrote today in Globe. We weren't expecting to be talking about the Celtics picking at 14 in this draft. The Sacramento pick, everybody was thinking this was like a top five pick. You know, We knew it couldn't be number one because then it would go to Philly but you're thinking it's like top five, at least top ten and now it's kind of 14 and 14 in a draft that's not seen as being a particularly deep draft. So That's one of those unexpected, unforeseen things that just sort of went against the Celtics this year. And unfortunately for them, they had, you know, that wasn't the only one. They had quite a few of those things this year. And when you add it all up, it's uh, kind of shocking, really, to just sort of look in a year how much things sort of changed in terms of their their outlook, just in terms of the uncertainty. Like last year, it felt like they couldn't lose no matter what they did. They were set up for years and years to come. Now, they have a little bit of work to do. Do you feel like if Kyrie was to let Danny know he wasn't going to be re-signing, that packaging the picks we have to try and move into the top, I don't know, to like the 8th, the 7th, 8th or ninth pick and try and pick a point guard with that pick, do you see that as being a viable option? Uh, That's a good question. I mean, possibly, you know, maybe somebody like Kobe White could be around of North Carolina could be there. I just wonder if like this is the draft where you want to move up and do that. Again, you know, would you be better off, say, if there's like a Nikhil Alexander Walker from Virginia Tech who is there with your pick at 20 or 22? Maybe you're okay with that. You know, maybe that's a guy who ends up being just as good or you feel like has potential that way. The other thing about the NBA, I mean, you guys know, you know, it's not like sort of the NFL where just having like in the NFL, if you had three first round picks, you could pretty much do whatever you want in terms of moving up the board in the NBA. It's so much more about the individual player. And does a team like a player, not like a player? You know, they're willing to potentially miss out on a player. It's, it's not so much about the volume of picks. It's about getting that one individual player that you're you're interested in. And that's a long-winded way of saying it's not always as easy to move up as you think it would be with multiple picks. No, there's always going to... The only way y'all can really see that happening, if he was, if Danny was really sold on somebody, was we might have to try and package a player in with that. And then you kind of just... Wait, you, you buy Room from Pete to Paypal, you're weakening one position to try and strengthen another. It's going to be really interesting this summer, no matter which way it works. And I agree with what you said earlier. It is more likely that we end up with neither than both. And that's quite sad, to be honest with you, especially with all the hope we all had at the start of the year. Tim? Yeah, yeah. Wait. And I mean, it, uh, it, it makes me look back to it, the chances that we had to deal that Kings pick. And I kind of wish in hindsight that we had dealt it at some point for someone, not anyone in particular. But at the end of the day, there's those trades that you regret, you know, making, you have the trades that you regret not making. And you have to live with that decision if you're the Celtics now. But my hope is, is that they're somehow able to make something work. Um, whether it's not, whether or not it's Anthony Davis, I think there's another piece that 
maybe we're just not seeing or another star that's disgruntled that we haven't really heard about yet. In terms of what they're looking at contract-wise, cap, unless Al Horford restructures, as we talked about before, they're really up against it. Um, and it's not like they can just go out and sign a guy like Kemba Walker in free agency. I don't know what the options are if Kyrie wants out, if you can sign and trade him somewhere. But there's a lot of different paths the Celtics can go to. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah, and it's a good point about, like, you know, packaging that deck. Maybe they should have gone harder after Kawhi Leonard. Or... But sometimes, you know what's funny? I mean, that would have been great if they got Kawhi the way he's played this year. But sometimes the best trades are the ones you don't make. Like, I'm I'm think, just thinking back about the 2015 draft, you know, when they wanted to use some of the Brooklyn picks to move up and get Justice Winslow from Duke. You know, they were trying to get up to Charlotte pick at nine and they were going to give some of the Brooklyn picks and you know Charlotte ended up I'm laughing because they ended up turning it down because Michael Jordan wanted Frank Kaminsky but that ended <laughs> up being like one of the best deals that Danny Ainge never made because now you hold on to those Brooklyn picks and you know with one of them you got Brown one of them you got Tatum after you got the number one overall pick and moved down so sometimes the best trades you make are the ones that you actually don't make so we'll see you know Danny's certainly not gun shy I mean he's gonna turn over every rock there's no question about that if anything I think the point you guys sort of brought up sooner Kyrie can let them know what he's doing the easier obviously for the Celtics but the reality is like I'm not sure that Kyrie knows what he's doing. I'm not sure he's going to know what he's doing until July 1st. I think we'll know by draft night. I think like we like personally, the public will not know. But I think I think based on Wick's comments the other day and what you know, Danny Ainge is probably going to go to Kyrie before the draft and say, hey, we might make a move on draft night. We need to know where you stand in order to make a move in good conscience or to have some kind of outline of an agreement. Because if they're going out and drafting at the spots they're at, they don't trade those picks to move up to another spot in the draft. I would imagine that they're picking not only the best players available, but players that potentially a team like the Pelicans would want to have on their roster to build around Zion Williamson. But that it's it's all hearsay until something happens. I feel like the Celtics is an organization when it goes going into that draft night on June 20th with that moratorium period now getting bumped back to the 30th um, as opposed to July 1st. We're going to see a lot of changes. If we see any kind of situations where the Celtics are drafting a point guard or they, they move up in the draft, unless they're flipping that player immediately to another team for another asset to be included in the deal, who knows? I mean, there's, as I said, it starts with that draft because you've got three first round picks this year so chris i know you're a busy man so that's gonna pretty much wrap, wrap us up unless there's any other points you'd like to touch on just before we end this uh, I, I don't think so you know just the one point i would just make is yeah i mean I, I thought the lottery was sort of sneaky unkind to the celtics you know that memphis pick memphis moving up from eight to two i think again what we talked about was the sacramento pick we all had expectations of that being a high lottery pick what's to say if john morant gets there and, and joins with jaron jackson that Memphis in a couple of years by 2021 you know that pick somehow doesn't fall down in the lottery the other thing I'd say just vis-a-vis Anthony Davis is the Knicks I think are a little bit of a sleeper yes they don't have a Tatum they don't even have a Brown to offer but right now they have the third pick in the draft which could be RJ Barrett so if you're New Orleans you could reunite Barrett and Zion in the NBA plus I think people are forgetting that they have the Mavericks 2021 pick which is completely unprotected and I know Luka Doncic is there but if Porzingis only signs the qualifying offer as a restricted free agent and then becomes a full-fledged free agent following this season and he leaves there I mean that Dallas pick will be a lottery pick. And we all saw with the new format, you know, if it, if it's in the top seven or eight, then you can, you can get up into the top two or three. So that, that's some ammunition that the Knicks have that maybe I feel like some Celtics fans aren't considering. Cause I feel like a lot of Celtics fans kind of feel like, 
well, we clearly have the best package and nobody can come even close. And I think the Celtics have the best package, but it's a little bit closer than you think after the lottery. No, that's a really good point. And I do feel like they have a few players that could be useful. Mitch Robinson, Kevin Knox hasn't had a great season, but again, it doesn't mean he won't improve. But I'd like to take the time to say thank you for coming on, Chris. It'll be great if we can have you on again in the future. Okay, guys, so you've been listening to the Celtics Pulse podcast. We'll catch you again next time.